Thank you, Pastor Anna. I drive the staff crazy because I do these like letters, you know, four, four G's, the five P's, the four D's. I could take you through sort of how the bridge functions and we've created all these lists of how we function. And so I, I noticed on the video that she said, we have the four G's and we're a 5G church as of last Sunday. You know, I mean, that just happened. That was an evolution of what we're about and, and uh, what we believe God has called us to. So, uh, sorry, Anna, we're going to have to redo that video. We're going to have to update it. So good to be with you here today. Deb slapped me on the leg just now and stared at me and said, is this going to be a good message this morning? So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's a good one. I know that it's something that God has put on my heart, and that is the first G that we're going to cover, and it's gathering. And we uh, introduced the series Being Us last week. It's one thing to be you. It's an entirely different thing to be us. And in fact, Jesus would say to you that you're not really going to fully discover yourself or be optimized as a person unless you lose yourself in something that is so much bigger than you. And Jesus was referring to his kingdom. He was referring to his mission in the world. And what he promises you is that if you would give yourself over, if you would give yourself over and seek first his kingdom, all these other things will be added unto you. And one of the things that will be added unto you is a deep sense of self-understanding. In order to fully be you, you must understand what Jesus calls us to in being us. So this is the series that we're in. Who are we as the bridge, a local church, an expression, an expression among many expressions in the Markham area, the GTA area, this part of the world. We're so privileged to meet and to worship in this fashion. But what has God called the bridge to do specifically? And so we've been working on that for a good couple of decades. And, uh, and you're in the midst of that journey. And we're happy that you're here. So being you, but also being us even more so. So life's not a solo act. We know that. You were created for community. You need a church family. And the only way you can fully be you is in the context of being us. Here at the bridge, there are five things that are true about us. Five things that are true about us. Quickly, we gather for the purpose of centering our lives around Christ. Now, we just sang that beautiful song. It was such a beautiful song. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. It's all about you. And the gathering in its, its essence is reminding of you of that every single week. When you come to church, You've come from so many distractions, and you lay them all down, and then you worship. And we have a phenomenal worship team that leads us in song, which brings our heart into the presence of God, and we sing songs like, it's all about you, Lord Jesus, it's all about you. And I don't know about you, but when I was singing that song, I was devoting my heart to Jesus in a fresh way, in a fresh way. And, and, and that's what Sundays are meant to be, if I could use that, 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 that phrase. Sundays themselves are meant to be Sabbaths or moments of rest or moments of revival where you're reminded as to what life is really all about. And so Sunday is chock full of hopefully some aha moments. So we gather for the purpose of centering our lives around God, which is worship. We group 
for the purpose of connecting with other believers, which is fellowship. We grow for the purpose of cultivating Christ-like character, which is discipleship. We give for the purpose of contributing to Christ's cause in the world, which is ministry. And then we go for the purpose of communicating our hope to the hurting world in which we live in, which is mission. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and mission. Centering, connecting, cultivating, contributing, and communicating. This is what we're here for as the bridge. Last week I shared with you that the book of Acts is something that God has given us as a gift. The book of Acts written by the Apostle Paul. A wonderful book, fifth book in the New Testament, just after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the book of the church, the story of the church. And the purpose of the book of Acts is to inform to our norm. That's the purpose of the book of Acts, it's to inform to our norm. In other words, who is it and what is it that God has called us to be and to do as the church? So it forms us, it informs us to our norm, and, and so we see in the book of Acts, in chapter two, verse one, in the initial stages of the church, in fact, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and the church was created, the church didn't exist until the Holy Spirit was sent into the world, and it was in Acts chapter two, verse one, that we see the initial image. If I could give you a, photo, a photograph, if I could give you a picture, if I could give you an image, of the church initially, in its genesis, in its beginning, it would look like this. It would look like this. Acts chapter two verse one says this, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So it would look like this. There were about 120 plus involved in that initial church meeting. Now there are billions that name Christ as the very center of their lives, and, 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 but there was 120 in the first church. And it says they met together and had all things in common. This is what the first church looked like. And this was its initial introduction. This was its genesis. Acts chapter two, 46 to 47 says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now I've shared with you recently that this church is literally built for 2,000 people. And what do I mean by that? Do I mean like 2001 setting? No, we purposely did not build a massive auditorium. We have an auditorium that can sit maybe maximum 700, 750 people in one sitting, and that would be really, really packed out. But what we've done is we've created a church where we can have two services, we can have multiple things happening throughout the week, where we have 
people entering this building at multiple times for multiple purposes, multiple generations, meeting in multiple areas, and this is what the building was built for, and we figured that we can create traffic, or we can accommodate, sorry, traffic for as many as 2,000 people a week being affected with the truth and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is, that is what we have here by way of a building and by way of a tool that can be used for bringing life transformation to people. But it says every day they continue to meet together. If you were here on a Monday, you would find people here. If you were here on a Tuesday, you would find people here. If you were here on a Thursday, you would find people here. If you were here on a Wednesday, a a Friday, or a Saturday, you would find people here. There is constant traffic. There is constant use. There is constant gathering here at the bridge for multiple purposes. This This is... The New Testament informing to the norm, we are called upon by God to to be together in life, however that presents. And we are to be together, and we are to gather together, and we are to to, to see uh, the church as a place and a people. A place in that it's a place to gather a people in that we have this dynamic where together we are the building stones of God's beautiful building. Hebrews 10, 23, 25 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up in meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, The church is challenged today. There's rarely a week goes by that I don't see a poll out of America where somehow the church has been somehow affected by COVID and it's been affected by a number of other distraction points in our history as a people. And so the church, its percentages seem to be decreasing. And I know that to be true in a variety of churches, a variety of denominations, but what I believe is what the text says is that we need to be giving ourselves even more so as we see the day approaching. What's the day? As we see the end approaching, as we see Jesus coming back, as we see the intensity of humanity and even its degradation over time, the church needs to continue to be faithful in its meeting, in its gathering, in its influencing, in its intimacy, in its inclusiveness. The church needs to include many, many people and see them come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's not time to be off in our own little individual pursuits, materialistic, consumeristic, lost in the things of this world. It's time to be a people of heaven with a heaven's agenda. So the church gathered regularly, and today we're going to look at why we gather. The ultimate end of our gatherings is what the Bible calls worship. Worship itself is a lifestyle of centering our lives around the person of Jesus Christ. It is recognizing him for who he is, what he said, what he did, and what he's doing even today. Jesus is busy today. He's busy, 
The Bible says he sits at the right hand of God and he administrates, he advocates, and he's about the kingdom. He is building his church. The question is, is are we with him? Are we with him in that endeavor? So today we're gonna look at three or four basic questions about worship. What is worship? Well, worship is expressing our love and our gratitude to God. Worship is expressing our love and our gratitude to God for who he is, for what he's done and said, and what he's promised to do. We adore him. This is what we're here to do. We're here to give gratitude to God, to adore him. For what he's done, that's gratitude and that's thanksgiving. For what he said in his word and what he's promised to do, this is, this is why we gather for worship. And at any time you express your love to God, you're worshiping him. A lot of people think worship is music. Music is but a tool in the process and in the lifestyle of worshiping God. Granted, you can worship God anywhere. I was with my buddy Frank Tan this week and we were coming back from a Jays game and as we were traveling back, he put on some worship music. We're just two guys in the car appreciating the worship music. We had a moment, it was good, it was, we can worship anywhere, but, but worship is where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus. Key word is gathered, together, not alone. I mean, you can worship alone. Yes, you can put the earbuds on and you can go for a walk and, and you can listen to worship music, you can listen to a podcast and you can glorify God and be thankful in an individualized manner, but God calls us, it forms us to the norm that we're also called to gather together for worship. In Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, it says, the most important command of all is this one, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. One, Jesus, one day Jesus was asked, what's the most important command in the Bible? And it's a command to worship. It's a command to have Jesus as central in your life. How do you have Jesus as central, by the way? I'm going way off notes here. I'm never, I don't even know if I'm going to get through these notes today. But here's the deal. When it talks about having Jesus as central, when it says seek first the kingdom, what is it talking about? It's talking about you at your job and you seeing your job through the lens or the eyes of Jesus and living Life with Jesus is central is literally seeing whatever it is that you're in the midst of at your job, you bring Jesus into it. And you say, Jesus, with your heart and with your ethic and with who you are and, and with both your divinity and your humanity that you exemplify to me, how can I bring you to this workplace? That's what it is. It's more than just being here. It's also being wherever you would are, are with Jesus as being central. This worship experience, this gathering is simply here week by week, Sabbath after Sabbath, to remind you of what life is all about. And so when you're at the game with your kids and your kid is sitting on the sideline and the coach hasn't put your kid in the game, 
and you're, you're fired up because you just know how great your kid is, right? And, and you, you're feeling it bubbling up and you feel the injustice of this situation. You've just spent $5,000. You know what I'm talking about, parents. You spent $5,000 to have your kid in that dance school. You spent $5,000 to have that kid in that hockey uh, program. You spent $5,000 to have them involved in whatever it is that you have them involved in, and you're not afraid to spend that money, but you do not want to see your kid on the sidelines. Now there's a discipleship moment. There's a moment where we have to ask, is Jesus gonna be central in this moment or are you and your child? You see, worship is seeing every situation, no matter where you are, as a Jesus moment. And the way in which you process your heatedness is a Jesus moment. And all church is, church is a place that you gather where your pastor reminds you of that. Where your worship leader reminds you of that. Where your worship team reminds you of that. Where the Sunday school teachers remind your kids of that. Your kids right now, your youth are being reminded of who Jesus is and how central he should be as Pastor Rod meets with them right now. Worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God. Worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God for who he is, for what he done, has done, what he said, and what he's promised to do. So why do we express our love to God? Well, number one, because we were made to be loved by God. We were made to be loved by God. So the essence of our existence it comes out of relationship. God created us to love us, and our response to love given is to reciprocate. And so worship is us loving God back. Worship is loving God back. 1 John 4.19 says we love God because he first loved us. Number two, we worship because everything comes from God. You look around, the air that I breathe, your heartbeat, your body, the water that you drink, the food you eat, everything, the sunshine, everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. And David says in 1 Chronicles 29, these gifts did not really come from me and my people. Everything comes from you, O oh God, and we can only give back to you. We can only give you back what you have given us. Christians understand that. Whatever we have, whatever we possess, Whatever has been entrusted to us, we realize that it comes from God. And there is a stewardship. There is a sense of responsibility to everything that we have. My car. How I drive it. Who's in it. Everything I have. It's meant to be used for God's purposes. And to his glory. We worship because everything comes from God. Number three, we worship because we understand life through worship. We understand life 
through worship. Every time you focus on God, you come into his presence, you drown out everything else, and you center in and you focus on God through worship. David says, I tried to understand it all, this thing called life. It was just too hard for me to see until I went into the temple of God. Then I understood what was happening. All of a sudden, he gets perspective. He has an aha moment, the moment he enters into God's temple. And church is meant to be that, to provide a series of aha moments where you wake up to what life is really all about and you entrust yourself into God's care to see it fulfilled within your life and within your sphere of influence. Fourthly, the fourth reason we worship, God strengthens us through worship. God makes us stronger. He not only helps us to understand things clearer, but we also get a bigger perspective. Worship should be for you a faith-building, heart-expanding experience. It strengthens your heart. First Chronicles chapter 31 says, Hezekiah dedicated his life to serving God. Everything he did in worship in God's temple, he did wholeheartedly. Had a moment with Jesus this morning after the week that we had where someone in their mid-40s, a friend of mine, and also a young adult from our church, 31 years of age, passed away, and we can say prematurely in both cases. Shock to the system when people we're journeying with through life are taken early. And, and we feel that, and we hurt with that, and so we had a long day yesterday for Andrew. We had a long day with the family. I woke up this morning, I felt like I got hit by a bus. Honestly, like I, I just felt like, oh my goodness. I actually tried to think back to yesterday. Did I work out or something? Did I, did, did I play ball? Did I, like this is how I feel after I have done something I shouldn't have, you know? Like, and so, but, and I thought, okay, Lord. So I literally, took it to Jesus as I was sitting at the side of my bed and I said, God, I am so tired today. Lord, just empower me. Just, just give me the strength. Lord, just, just be with me. I, need, I, I just want to be present. I just want to be present wherever I am. Just help me, Lord. And so we you know, between the bed, eating, walking my dog, the shower, getting in the car and coming here, ready to go. Ready to go, ready to go. I walked in, so happy to see you. So happy to see you. And, and I, I hope that you approach this beautiful thing called worship the same way. That you come prepared, you come ready. So now how do I worship? I wanna give you just a few things, practical acts of worship that we sponsor and that we care about here at the bridge, inspired by the word of God. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 12, in the New Century Version, it says, gather all the people together. See, there's that theme. We, you think we got this cute little word, gather, cute little word, group, cute little word, grow, cute little word, give, cute little word, 
go. You think, you think this is some sort of out of the machinations of, of Brian's silly little brain. No, these things are biblical. These things are rooted in scripture. Over and over and over again, we are exhorted to gather together. Here in the Old Testament, we see where it says, gather all the people together, men, women, and children living in your towns. Gather all the people together. Psalm says, I listen carefully to what God my Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his people and to his faithful ones. So the one we're starting with related to these acts of worship, these practical acts of worship, the first way that we can worship is by listening and responding. And so we come to listen, we come to respond to God's word. By listening and responding to the word of God, we find ourselves emboldened, we find ourselves ready, we find ourselves encouraged. In Matthew 7, 6, Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample on them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What in the world is Jesus talking about and how does this have anything to do with worship? Jesus is instructing, and he's doing it with a deep sense of who he is. Jesus knows that he's the son of God. Jesus knows that he has brought what humanity needs. He is the pearl. He is the valuable thing. Jesus is precious. And Jesus is saying that as I am presented to the world, as that which is most precious to you is presented to the world in whatever avenue or arena, we need to treasure it. We need to value it. We need to sort of exploit it to the degree as to its value and see it absolutely treasured in the world around us. And Jesus is saying, he's saying to us, look, this beautiful, precious thing has come. And as you share it and as you, as you celebrate it, then appreciate it. And you appreciate it by listening. You appreciate it by listening and responding to the truth of Jesus that is being shared. I like what my pastor said when I was a kid. I've learned so much from him, by the way. I'd already known that God had called me to ministry as a teenager growing up in this church, so everything my pastor did, I was watching. And I remember him saying one time, he said, you know, it was blue-collar preaching, okay? This is blue-collar preaching, and so he, he used some words that I wouldn't use, so he said, you know, you could have the dumbest preacher preaching the word in a very scattered way. That's what he said. And he said, and if you have come ready to receive, God will have something for you in the midst of his message. If you come to church to just evaluate Brian and his oratory skills, or if you come to listen to Emily and does she inspire me or does she move me? Or, or if you come to listen to Anna and is, you know, does she speak in such a way? You're meant to come to church, not with a consumer mentality, but with a work mentality. You're meant to come to church to listen 
active listening, where even despite us, these broken vessels, even despite us, you've got to come believing that while Pastor Brian may not have it on a particular morning, maybe in your thoughts, <laughs> maybe in your thoughts, while Brian doesn't have it on a particular morning, there's still something for you to work towards. There's still something for you to listen towards. There's still something that God has in it. He'll honor your faith in coming and he'll present something into your heart. And quite frankly, sometimes it's life transformational despite the person who's delivering the word. Come on, man. I, we, we've got to get that. We've got to get that. This whole consumeristic mentality regarding worship, we got to throw it out the window and we got to come with a work mentality. There's something for you to mine. There's something for you to dig for. There's something for you to gain. And you got to come with this ideology that I don't care who's preaching today. I don't, I don't care whether he's on or he's off or she's on or she's off. I'm ready to receive whatever God has for me. Hey, I love it. Thank you for those amens. Yes. Yes, we gotta work for it. We gotta work for it. So, second way to worship. This one we all know about. We can worship God. You can show my love to God by singing to him. That's so important. And we're so blessed here at the bridge, quite frankly, with a phenomenal worship team. And I'm so grateful for everyone who contributes. And, and we need to bring our whole person. Bible says, bring your whole person to worship. So I dance a little, I sing a little, I wave my arms a little. I'm, I'm into whatever it is we're doing here by way of worship. My feet get to moving, right? Lloyd Peters taught me the, the Jamaican two-step, and I've been doing that for 20 years. <laughs> Honest to goodness, the Jamaican two-step. I've been doing it for, for 20 years, and I think I got it. Honestly, I think I got it. I'm just moving, I'm juking, I'm jiving, I'm, I'm, I'm just having a good time in Jesus with some sort of rhythm, you know what I mean? And I don't care, I don't care what you're thinking. I'm just lost in Jesus and, and this is what God wants for us in worship. He wants us to come holy into his presence. He wants us to come holy into his presence. Now let's go to a third way that we worship. The third way that we worship God is by talking to God together in prayer. Prayer is huge. Prayer is huge and we gather in various forms in prayer. This church prays like no other church, to be honest with you. We have prayer meetings and they're all online, they're amazing. You can attend one on Sunday or sorry, Wednesday morning, Thursday afternoon and Sunday morning. We have virtual prayer meetings. They're amazing, honestly, they're very powerful. But we also have life groups, some 50 life groups that are meeting throughout the GTA and part of their agenda every single week is to pray and to pray for what's going on in the world and to pray for each other and to pray for the church. And then we come together and we pray. I wanna pray right now. Let's pray right now for the Tam family and let's pray for the Mutu family right now. Father, in Jesus' name, as you're moving upon me, I just wanna pray for for William and I wanna pray for Pat. And I just wanna ask you God to be with them today. Today's the day after, the day after the send off regarding Andrew and 
God, I just pray that you would be with them today and tomorrow and throughout what is the rest of their life. I pray that they would hang on to you. They would trust you. And even in the middle of all of this, that they would put you central and center, even as to Andrew's passing. Connect the dots for them in whatever way you can, oh God. Connect the dots for them in whatever way you can. Lord, I pray for the Tam family. I pray, I pray for Joanne. I just lost her husband. I pray, God, that you would be with her. Life will not be the same for Joanne. It's going to be different. It's going to be challenging. For the kids. Oh, God. Just be with them, I pray. Two days after, after Tim's send-off, God, it's all setting in, and I just pray that you'd be with Joanne. Just be with her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We take time. We take time to pray. We take time to intercede on behalf of the hurting, on behalf of the bereaved, on behalf of the needy, we take time to present them into the Lord's presence. It's what we do. It's what we do in worship. Romans 1.12 says, we must help each other with the faith that we have. And your faith will help me and my faith will help you. Number four, a fourth way that we express our love to God is by sharing the Lord's Supper together. There's nothing that brings greater joy and a greater sense of centering for me than the Lord's Supper. I, I, I get so excited every first Sunday of the month when we share the Lord's Supper together. We come around the table because we're reminded of why we exist as a church. We're reminded of the faith that we have. We're reminded of what Jesus actually did. And it brings meaning. And it's power as we think about his shed blood and as we think about his broken body. And this is what we do. This is one of our sacraments in our worship at the bridge. One of our sacraments is to share the little wafer and to share the little cup. And it represents the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's a beautiful thing gathering around the table together. It knits us together. It reminds us of why we're here. The Lord's Supper. Jesus said, this cup, the cup of communion that is going to pass around to disciples, he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood, so do this often in remembrance of me. It brings Jesus and the new covenant, the covenant of love, no longer under the covenant of law where we simply saw ourselves. By the way, the Old Testament, it's simply a mirror to show us how deprived we are of righteousness. The Old Testament is just that. It's, it, it's meant to literally, God, God wrote the Old Testament through Old Testament prophets, through Moses. He, he, he wrote the Old Testament. I mean, you read the Old Testament and some people are shocked and say, my goodness, is that in the Bible? Yes, because it is totally meant to reflect to you and I how deprived we are of righteousness how deprived and broken we are in our human experience. Then we slide over into the New Testament and it's literally written as the answer for our deprivation. It's written as the answer for our deprivation. What's the answer? It's Jesus. Over and over, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. 
And we're reminded of that. And Jesus says, look, you're going to be tempted to forget about me. You're going to be tempted to get involved in life in such a way that you lose sight of what is really important. He says, now come together around the table and be reminded on a regular basis about my shed blood and about my broken body and about all that it means for you in your life. That this issue of righteousness, right living, and functional humanity is to be found in none other than the second Adam, the Adam meaning Jesus Christ, that he himself is our power for right living. He's the one who inspires us. He's the one who exemplified it to us. He's the one who comes in and fills us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the answer for what's broken in the world today. He's the answer for what's broken in me. Number five is by recommitting our lives to God. You heard yesterday we, we sang the song, I surrender all in the midst of our pain. I surrender all. We recommit our lives to Christ. Romans 12, one says, because of God's great mercy. In other words, because God has been so good to you, offer your lives as living sacrifices to him, dedicating to serving him in a holy and pleasing way. So we give our lives worshiping him through sacrifice. We, we're willing to do whatever it takes to represent him in the world. The sixth act of work, worship is I show my love to God by giving back some of what God has given me. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. The truth of the matter is we're 200,000. I want you to know this. We're sitting as a board, and what we do every year is we put together ministry plans. So the staff, they think of the year ahead. We always go one year ahead with a three-year framework. And I'm, I ask all the staff, and Emily helps me with this, we ask all the staff to write a ministry plan. Where are you going in your ministry in the next year? There's some guidance, there's some direction. But we really want each pastor and even each administrator to think that through. Where are you going in your area of responsibility in the next year? And in the process of thinking that, we build budgets around that vision that comes out of that, that whole process. So we build budgets. So just to you, we're, we're two to $300,000 short on the vision. We're two to $300,000 short on the vision. Now, we're a responsible church. We've always been responsible. We function in the black. We don't spend money we don't have. We just don't do it. But, but I was saying to the board, if I had my druthers, man, my vision is to have somebody in the atrium full time. So that that atrium that we built in that coffee shop was accessible to the community full-time. Not just on Sundays, but full-time. If I had my druthers, I'd have a full-time on-mission pastor here at the bridge. We've been talking about it for a decade. And it's time to make it real. If I had my druthers, we'd have a full-time on-mission pastor who connects with the community in meaningful ways and brings about life transformation through connection a connection of love and grace. If I had my druthers, we'd have a full-time family ministries pastor here at the bridge 
who was not only ministering to the pastors, or sorry, not the pastors, yes, even the pastors, but also to you as a congregation, not only ministering to you as a congregation, but also ministering to this community. I'm with the fire department. I gotta tell you, I'm in people's homes. Some of the, some of the medical emergencies are related to family strife. Some of the things that we find ourselves responding to only speaks to the issue of broken families and we need Jesus to be represented through the family context and a family ministries pastor that builds conferences and builds seminars and builds groups around family dynamics. If we've ever needed a family ministries pastor or someone to focus on the family in a local church context, it's now. It's now. So I just spent maybe $250,000 just now in talking to you. No, 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 that's the way it works out, folks. And that $200,000 uh, deficiency that I just talked to you about, those things weren't even included, so now we're up to about $450,000. But don't worry, we don't spend money we don't have, but here's the deal. We are meant in our worship to give thought and purposely pray about how it is that God would have us in our respective families and our budgets to think through what is it that God would have me to do. And truthfully, there are so many people here who are giving incredibly generously to what God is doing here. They are, there's so many generous people. But there's so many of you that haven't yet entered into the discipline of being generous towards the mission and the ministry of God. And he's given you this beautiful church called The Bridge, a place to give, and to give with trust, and to give with faith, knowing that your giving will bring about life transformation and Christocentric living. What is Christocentric living? Christocentric living is us living with Jesus at the very core of our hearts and living in the fulfilled life that he promises. Your money, my money, translates into transformation. It translates into fulfilled ministry and mission. So our worship, we always take time to mention the offering. What I'm gonna do, because I wanna remind you, I wanna be faithful as a pastor, what I'm gonna do, I'm way over preaching, I'm gonna end it real soon, folks. But what I'm gonna do is I'm going to be bringing to you a, a worship moment, five minute worship moment, once a month, where I'm reminding you to prayerfully consider what it is that God would have you do by way of your giving to what is the ministry and the mission of this church. You'll be envisioned, you'll be taught, you'll be inspired, but I've got some people working with me on this right now, and we're just gonna bring five minutes a month where we're reminding you theologically, sociologically, missiologically, why give? Why give? It's coming. Finally, the last of seven ways on how we worship here at the bridge, how we gather together. I show my love to God by being baptized and publicly declare, declaring my faith. We have a lot of adults that have never yet been baptized. And I wanna encourage you to be baptized. Some of you were baptized as a child. Baptism in the, in the Bible is something different than your christening as a child. Baptism in the Bible is actually about a person who understands the message of Jesus, has accepted him into their life as his Lord and Savior, and then follow him in 
this sacrament called baptism. Jesus himself, the son of God, got baptized. Come on. He got baptized. He knew that that there was a moment that was required for him to be declared as the son of God. And so John the Baptist baptized Jesus and that was really the onset of his ministry and his new life. It's an amazing thing. And Jesus calls us as part of our mission to baptize each other and to take moments where we, we actually tell our story about how we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Man, we do a lot when it comes to our gathering. We do a lot. There's a deep sense of mission as to what it is that God has called us to do. We're not playing church. We're not playing church. We're, we're doing some serious kingdom business here. And we're serious. Father, in Jesus' name, as this word has just dropped and as people have heard it and they're doing the work of listening to it, I pray, God, that you would manifest yourself in a powerful way. I just pray, God, that you would allow this church, the bridge, to be so impactful that we would not be a people who hold back, but we would be fully engaged, even as the New Testament church was fully engaged a wonderful expression of your love to the world, whereby billions of people have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that we would be responsible for untold numbers of people being saved, literally saved out of the depravity of their humanity, their inability to make righteous decisions. Come to Christ for him to cause them to become fully functional human beings. Father, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.